welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Friends, this episode today means so much to me. It's been about a year since everything was released regarding the allegations against Harvey Weinstein, and I couldn't think of a better time than now to dive into what we think about this as Christians, especially from the male perspective. This has been so heavy on my heart, so I've been really anticipating releasing this episode for a while, and I'm going to just say it right now that I think you're going to love the richness and the realness of the conversation we had. So today, I brought on three of my guy friends who I admire so much. Each of them have such beautiful hearts, and I truly believe they've grasped what it means to love and respect women wholeheartedly, while also learning how to wrestle with their own personal identities as men. This conversation was so good that we split it into two parts. Today, we dive into the Me Too movement, and next week, we dive more into the challenge of masculinity in our culture. So let me introduce our guests. First, we have Johan Kalilian, who came from Chicago, from an area known for its violence and crime. He actually went from being a ghetto kid to now becoming a national speaker who uses his life story to help people of all ages believe in the power of their dreams and the impact of their lives. He is incredibly real and shameless about being vulnerable, and I love every second of it. Then we have Chris Wolf. Chris is a classic good guy, and I mean that with my whole heart in the best way, because he also inspires other men to be their very best selves. He says, a nice guy is a doormat, but a good guy leaves a monument. He has written some amazing books, including Black Tie and 10 Ways to Win a Girl's Heart, and he also runs an online ministry called Good Guy Swag. He is married to the amazing and sparkle-filled Kristen Dalton-Wolf, a former Miss USA and speaker. Last but not least is Ryan Gunnarsson. He's an actor and a motivator, and him and his wife, Aquila, actually have been on the podcast before, so he's our first repeat guest. I just love Ryan's heart, so I'm super pumped that he wanted to come back on the podcast. So without further ado, I hope your minds and hearts are ready for this incredible, timely, and needed conversation with three stellar men. Hey, you guys. Wow. Okay. Well, all I can say is today is just so special to me. And this is actually the first time I've had three guests on the podcast all at once. So I'm pretty pumped about it. How do you guys feel? Very excited. We feel stoked. I mean, it's just general consensus, right? (laughs) All the stokeness. Yes. I mean, it feels I feel privileged to be a part of something for the first time. You know, I mean, exactly. This is it's pretty special. Um, But no, I'm seriously so grateful to have you guys today. Um, It really is such an honor, especially given what we're talking about, and it's something just so near and dear to my heart. So I'm really, really excited. So quickly, just so everyone listening can get acclimated with your voices and just who you guys are, can you go around and just say your name and maybe a small nugget about what you do. Who wants to go? Okay, I guess I'll go. <laughs> Who wants to go? Uh, you're gonna have to point at us. There's, uh, this is why you probably never did three at a time. Because there's like, like uh, okay, wait, what about you? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so my name is Chris Wolf, and I run a, a, a blog site called GoodGuySwag.com. Yeah. And uh, I'm married to a beautiful wife, and we have a beautiful daughter who yeah. is 14 months old. 
And let's see what else. And then I also um, run this thing called LA Men's Group. And mm. then um, and then I work for a company um, where we actually uh, work with men who have advanced prostate cancer. So, oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I called you and you were at the conference. I was like, I had no idea you did that as well. It's so awesome. Okay, Joe, you go. Uh, my name is Johan Luis Kalilian, and I'm a youth motivational speaker. I've been speaking for 15 years, started off speaking in classrooms. I did that for four years in Chicago. That's where I'm from. Anybody around me will know that, you know, pretty quickly. I love Chicago. And uh, if you don't, we're going to have some problems <laughs> today. I just want to get that out there. Okay. Um, I'm also, I'm also an actor filmmaker over here. Um, early on, part of my platform as a speaker was actually abstinence. And um, so I appeared on a couple of TV shows on Tyra Banks on today's show. And um, actually a lot of the podcasts that I did that I've done within the last like year, year and a half have been me talking about me losing my virginity and I didn't get married. I'm the only one, I guess, of the fellas here that um, is not married. Uh, so that's part of my story now mm -hmm. is uh, what it is like to be a guy who had this platform for a long time waiting and then, oh, now I'm not anymore. So, mm -hmm. But ladies, you'll want to look him up. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> just a side thing here. Johan is single. Uh -oh. The two guys are not. The other two guys. That's right. They take him. <laughs> Get all the DMs after this show. <laughs> you can take me later. So I'm one of the other taken men, apparently. Uh, I'm married to a beautiful wife of almost 14 months now. Um, I work in a lot of different avenues, um, mainly in film and television um, as an actor. Um, I also have done stunts for a long time, decided to stop because my head started hurting. So <laughs> I stepped out of that. Yeah. Um, and honestly, one of my biggest passions is to uh, ignite specifically men into their identity. So I do that nonstop. It's amazing. Actually, Ryan, you were a repeat guest because you came on before with Aquila. What up? <laughs> Lots yeah. of people love that episode. If you guys haven't heard it, it's pretty rad. Go and check it out. And you guys also have an Instagram account that's inspiring for married couples too. Yes, you can find us at, at that one married couple. It's pretty easy to find. Um, we love putting motivational stuff, yeah. including pics of us, videos, funny stuff. It's all good stuff. It's all fun. Mm -hmm. So now the deal is I spoke to each of you guys in advance before our conversation today and you all were carefully selected because I truly just really value your platforms and I think you each have such golden hearts that really desire change and are actively pursuing that through what you're doing right now. And because of that, I really value what you have to say, especially about this topic. So Today, I just want to do a little intro about what we are talking about so everyone can understand. So we're diving into a few things, but the main point of discussion today is going to be the Me Too movement. It's been about a year since everything was released regarding the allegations against Harvey Weinstein. And I really personally, in thinking about this, I couldn't think of a better time to just dive into what we think about this, especially as Christians and especially from the male perspective. So it really affects us, this movement and what is going on culturally right now. It really affects us all significantly, you know, whether or not we want to think about it, but it affects um, anywhere from the dynamics between men and women how we view one another and how we treat one another, what we say and what we maybe don't say. And all of that also can cross over into relationships and dating. So this topic is very sensitive 
overall, but I think it's really vital in order to be able to love one another well and understand just truly the vast gravity of the situation. And so just quickly also why this is so important to me and, and why I wanted to do this podcast today as well is that this is also deeply personal to me as a woman who has been a victim of sexual abuse and rape. And part of my story that's so important to say out loud, I believe, is that I actually had compartmentalized the abuse and pushed it down for years and years until finally it came out about a year and a half ago while I was in conversation with someone intimate with me. And, you know, the thing is that I know that I'm not the only one who has sat in shame for so many years, who has been afraid to face the situation head on, who is scared to say something, who really feels like they might be even to blame, or who just turns a blind eye to what is happening around them or to themselves. That's really what has been on my heart and why I wanted to have this conversation today. And the last thing I just want to say is, and just let everyone listening know that this is something we all at the table really have thought a lot about. And a bunch of great resources, some that we have all listened to or read in advance, I'm going to recommend now for anyone who wants to kind of dive into this a little further. So first, I really, really love the We Are Man Enough series, which was started really by Justin Baldoni. And it's such an incredible movement that's come about in the past few months. And he also has an amazing TED Talk called I'm Done Being Man Enough. And that's absolutely phenomenal. Really easy listen. I also really recommend Lewis Howe's book, The Massive Masculinity as well as the book Divine Sex by Jonathan Grant, which that one really talks, and I've talked about it before, but it's such a good read, very thick um, and rich in, in all the words, but it is really talking about the hypersexualization of our culture. And then lastly, I love, love, love the documentary The Mass You Live In on Netflix as well. So those are some resources. I will link them for everyone to kind of look at if they want to dive into that further. But okay, so you guys sitting here, thank you for listening to all that, all my spiel, but I'm so excited to really just dive in right now and just have a conversation with you guys. So my first question today, just to start us off is, how do you feel in the wake of the Me Too movement? Like what was or has been your first reaction since this came about really a year ago? I mean, I feel hopeful. You know, I so growing up, growing up in Chicago, one of the things that we would see is there would be crack houses that would get turned into like either actual homes or things that were of use of, for the community, right? So like if a crack house is turned into a hospital, you're like, man, something great is happening with this thing that was actually a cancer in the community. And I think that's part of uh, what we see with the Me Too movement. It's like pinpointing this place in our culture that was a place of pain and chaos and now saying in this place, we're now gonna create healing. Now, yeah. I think, Part of it for me is obviously with any of these building projects in, in a community, you can start building the, and then stop. And oftentimes that is what happens in the inner city is there's there's money put on a problem. Hey, let's clean it up. Let's fix it. And then people don't see it to the end. So I'm I'm tremendously hopeful that we've started. Mm -hmm. My my hope is that we continue to turn the crack house into a hospital. Mm. That is a, uh, it's really well said. I think, I think uh, I was going to say the exact same thing because naturally I want to go to the, the dark side of what this all is, but the real truth is there's so much hope right now. I feel so ignited. I mean, the, there's a lot of work to be done, to be honest. There's still a lot of work, a lot of work to change mentality, a lot of work to change how we act, how we think, 
how we treat women, mm-hmm. how we treat uh, um, even just ourselves as men, how we like are available to mm-hmm. even being uh, changed and our, even our mentality. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, but man, thinking about this movement, it was probably a, probably a year and a half, about a year ago it started. And like oh, hearing all the stories, you just like, you get, I mean, I, I know personally, I got super um, overwhelmed. I know people, a lot of people close to me have experienced this themselves. And so seeing people who actually finally can feel that um, the freedom from actually sharing something that was locked down deep, hidden forever, uh, maybe a, a secret that they thought they were going to take to them with like to the grave. Right. Um, uh, it, it brings me so much joy to know that people can share that. I mean, it's the it's difficult, but it's it is unbelievably beautiful to see somebody come into freedom. Yeah. And I would agree with with Ryan. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, I think what the Me Too movement has brought has been freedom to a lot of people. I mean, if you look at the statistics and if we're talking about the amount of work that that we still have left to do, uh, they say that one in three girls will be sexually assaulted in her lifetime. Um, And it's not just actually women that are being sexually assaulted. If you look at the numbers on men, it's about one in six. Yeah. Um, so the, and these are just re- keep in mind these are reportable statistics. So this doesn't even give you the gravity mm. of the situation of what's out there. Th- mm. This is what is already on hand with our government that can show by case that this is what's happening. So it's a very serious situation. Mm. Uh, and I think too, if you look at the statistics as well, when someone has had something like this happen to them. Uh, they're not, it's not like they're going to just say like, I mean, this Harvey Weinstein thing, let's, let's like take it back a little bit. It, it came out a year ago, but all of us sitting here at this table, we're all here in LA and I bet you each and every one of us have heard rumors and stories mm-hmm. that this had been going on for years and years and years. And if you look at the statistics, there's probably still more women out there that have yet to come forward yeah. because they feel so much shame the statistics show that that it's about 10 years or longer before someone will ever share their story. So the Me Too movement is important in bringing freedom to just eliminate that shame and for other women to say, guess what? Me Too. It's actually saying there's a coalition of women that this has happened to. You're not alone. You're not a freak. You don't need to feel shame. Mm. This is what we're here for. We're here to support you. Mm. And I think in that, I think something I found really astounding in just having conversations with men over the last year is just how many men specifically didn't really realize the gravity of the problem or how prevalent this was or how it can happen basically even daily to women, you know, in small ways we feel objectified all the time. Do you feel like you understood, I guess, before this all was released that you, how prevalent this was, especially in the lives of women? I mean, I I was never really taught this stuff, unfortunately, uh, wasn't a part of my culture. I mean, I was taught to do life really well and to respect women and just to do all the chivalrous stuff that you, you know, hope a young man might learn, um, open a door, things like that. But I was, I never knew this side. I didn't grow up with sisters. I had three brothers. So I, that was not a world I really understood. Um, so personally for me, this is something that's I'm learning over the like last three, three two to three years. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I, even though I was aware of the statistics and I have to actually just say, you know, I'm aware of the statistics because I was first aware of one in six because, mm-hmm. you know, I was 
I was sexually abused as a child too. So I, I mean, I think I should throw that out there as a ca caveat. So I was aware of the statistics, but I think just, you know, I have a 14 month old daughter at home. And I think that the statistic really came to life when she came into my world because in fear, I thought, well, good, you know, if this doesn't change, this could happen to my daughter. Yeah. There's, you know, you're sitting in a room and you're looking around and you're looking one out of three of these girls, something like this has happened to them. Like, how can I stop this before my daughter becomes a teenager? Mm, yeah. And do you guys know, maybe even in that, like any personal friends of yours, even in the last year or people close to you in your life that have come out even admitting this in the last year? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, a lot of people very close to me who've even just talked about different things, even in the film business, um, who couldn't really stand up for themselves at the time and uh, yeah. felt a lot of shame in that and kind of felt honestly like a, a piece of meat uh, in the situation, um, which should never, ever happen to anyone. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely know um, too many people. Yeah. yeah, I have a friend who her career started, uh, per, she was pursuing music and in Atlanta, she had an interaction with a, a producer who basically, you know, not just came on to her, but was very um, straightforward, if you will, and was very vulgar and like just kept it coming every single day in terms of like serving up stuff that was hard for her to deal with. And, and it was the reason why she stopped pursuing music oh, wow. was she felt like there was no way for her to accomplish her dreams without giving in. Mm. So um, she then left uh, and started to pursue acting. Uh, I mean, in a cool kind of way of like stick it to the stick it to the man, if you will. She ended up booking a show where she was allowed to sing. Oh, and then wow. now she sort of like regained that that pursuit, wow. you know. So take that. Yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful that is amazing that's like such a redemption story too yeah. gosh that's so cool i mean i think you know that's there's evidence there to the fact that you know even in the midst of this ugly there is beauty that god is creating you mm -hmm. know and and he is still conspiring for us um i think it's easy to get overwhelmed by all this yeah. you know it's easy for us to to focus on the things that are dark but if we cannot be voices of hope and love, then, you know, what's going to happen to this world? Mm. And Chris, I love that you brought up too, like that this isn't just a woman only issue. Right. And this is the statistic is one in six men. And you have a beautiful story about that. And I think that's important for us to also say out loud and recognize, because I think part of this is also we don't stick up maybe also for other men that this may be happening to because we just assume they got it themselves, you know? Right, right. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, but but I mean, you know, this is even probably more taboo for a guy to talk about. Oh, totally. But, um, but it's, let's just be honest too, it's a, it's a taboo for anyone to talk about. And I think once you can actually share your story, and let's just be honest, that's what the Me Too movement is. There's a lot of power in your story there's a lot of power in your testimony mm -hmm. so if you can come forward and share that 
then not only are you bringing freedom to yourself, but you'll be bringing freedom to other people as well. I mm, love that. So have you guys ever experienced someone coming forth and sharing this with you, their story of sexual abuse? Or maybe you haven't, or maybe you've heard that happening with other uh, people in your life, but how either have you reacted in those moments or if you haven't had that personally happen to you with someone coming forward to you or sharing that with you, what do you think is the best way for us to be graceful in those moments? Well, I think if if you consider the fact you, the, that the people that, that this has happened to, you're not going to recognize them. And they could be sitting right next to you at any given point. And I think the first time I actually shared my story, I was in college and I was sharing at a ministry and I wasn't aware that this other girl who was on leadership with me the next day, she, you know, asked if we could, could meet up. And she told me that the same exact thing had happened to her, that it had been a family member um, and that she had been sexually abused. And um, and this had given kind of her the courage to kind of start working through her healing. Now, the beautiful part of that story is she, I think, pursued the healing to a much greater extent than, than me. And she started bringing resources to me. I think she that not too long after that she gave me this book called the wounded heart which is a great book too uh -huh. if any of y'all need any resources so she brought me this book the wounded heart and i started reading it um so so yeah i mean I, but everybody's on a different timeline mm -hmm. uh you know i i shared that story when i was maybe 19 or 20 mm -hmm. and then probably just a few years ago when i was in my mid-30s someone came and said hey i wanted to talk to you they were really embarrassed, but they were like, I want to talk to you about a story that you shared when you were 19. And they'd been thinking about it for all these years. Oh, wow. And we're finally just willing, and couldn't even actually say that it happened, just said, I want to talk to you about a story you shared when you were 19. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I knew right then. Wow. Yeah, I think even hearing you talk, Chris, there's a beauty in your story and the story that, that God is using to free so many, I know specifically men, I know a ton of men who've been impacted by your story specifically because you're honest. And you're, you, if you look at you, you're a man of physical strength, you're all these things, but you're able to be very, very vulnerable. And the thing about that's so important about what the Me Too movement is, is that you can share your story to allow others to have freedom. And that's something I love about what you do. And you just, you yell it from the mountaintops. Like people need to know that there's freedom to be had. And that's something I love about your your walk, what you do. Yeah, well, th thank you so much. And, and for anyone that's listening, if this has happened to you, I, let me just tell you too, you don't have to just shout it from the mountaintops, but I would find someone that you trust to talk to with. Yeah. And I think that each time that you share it and you find more and more people uh, and find that you're actually going to be accepted, loved, and even just celebrated as a person, that you can feel more comfort in, in talking to more people. But I would at least just encourage you to just not keep it in. This is something you don't want to keep swept under the carpet. Mm -hmm. mm, it's so good. And I say to people all the time, like, your story is no less uh, valuable if you aren't sharing it in this exact moment, if you're not ready to share it. Because I think the one caveat to sharing is that people then feel pressure to share sometimes when they're maybe not ready and, and you they're don't not wanna, fully You don't want to do that. Yeah. And there is so much freedom that comes in, in releasing and being vulnerable and the courage it takes to be vulnerable. And it is beautiful. But if it's not the right time yet, don't feel pressured. And it's no less valuable if you're not sharing it to the masses, for example. Um, so I completely would agree with what you're saying. And when I shared my story 
my Me Too story last year, I said that as well to people just on social media. Like, this is my story. And I, the reason I'm sharing it is because personally I have, you know, thought about it. I've healed through it. I've sought counsel and therapy and mentorship um, to help me through this. And don't feel like you have to share just to get it out there. Oh, this conversation is so riveting and important to me. I hope you're loving it as much as I did when I sat down with the three guys. They are just laying down some truth, y'all. I love that Chris said, the thing that is so important about the Me Too movement is that you can share your story to allow others to have freedom. People need to know that there is freedom to be had. Oh my goodness, isn't that so true, friends? Sharing your story can be so beautiful. And I think in doing so, we have to learn graceful dialogue for one another when we do share our stories, especially in the context of relationships. Okay, so in the land of podcasting, you must be thinking, why do you hear so many podcasters asking for rankings and reviews? Well, I'm here to tell you it's because it actually truly helps us. It's a part of how we get discovered and can continue to spread the goodness and keep doing what we're doing. So I want to ask you today, if you've not written a review, would you consider doing it? You can go to the main page of Hearted Dating Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom where you see stars, and then hit the box that says, write a review. We would love if you would do that for us. Lastly, I am so thrilled to tell you that we are putting on a Heart of Dating Soiree here in Los Angeles. It will be on November 3rd. We will have a panel of past Heart of Dating guests, including some of the guys from today. It's going to be so much fun. And it will also be a great time to meet some stellar singles if you are single or just meet more awesome people if you're dating. We will also be having wine sponsored by the amazing Bev of at DrinkBev on Instagram. So to get your ticket, you can go to eventbrite.com and type in Heart of Dating to find our event. Tickets are not expensive. And did we mention there will be wine and a bunch of eligible people? You guys are not going to want to miss this. Okay, friends, that's it for right now. I hope you enjoy the rest of this conversation as we continue to get real and dive more into the impact of sexual assault and what that does to our culture today. So one thing I really want to bring up here, we are all Christians here at this table, and I think specifically that this is a really important conversation that we need to be having in the church, but I don't think that we're necessarily addressing it as much as we really should be in the church. And I just want to say that very clearly. Um, I think, you know, what's really problematic to me is the American church as we know it got behind a candidate Mm -hmm. who sparked this movement. Mm. You know, like if it wasn't for the fact that Donald Trump was recorded saying the things that he said and then became the president of the United States, I don't think this movement would have been started. Mm. And to have so many Christians say this is God's candidate Mm. is to me, I mean, it's sickening and it's appalling. I I really believe that. And so like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, to get political in that sense. Right. Like, (laughs) and obviously people are going to be honest, man. You know what I mean? Like people are going to be like, oh, somebody talking about Trump. But to me, if we're going to talk about the Me Too movement, like it goes hand in hand. If we're going to talk about the response of the church, it's like, how can the church honestly and truthfully, prophetically speak about this topic without confronting Mm -hmm. the fact that they supported someone who is the catalyst? You know what I mean? Like somebody who brags about sexual assault. Right. 
to me, this is a prime opportunity for us as the church to repent of our choice. Like, and, and I'm not saying that as a guy who voted for Donald Trump because I, I don't support him in any way, shape or form. But I, I know a lot of people who mm-hmm. um, are Christians who voted for Donald Trump and and refuse to, to say, hey, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe. I didn't make the best choice. Maybe like, and, and yes, let's open it up for dialogue amongst mm-hmm. church folks to say, how have we gotten here? Mm-hmm. But you know, you have something, I know that maybe there's a little foreshadowing as, it, as we talk about good guys and how can mm-hmm. we be good guys as we stay complacent. I think the same thing goes for Christians is like, how can we call ourselves Christians as we stay complacent or we support people who keep the problem going? Mm-hmm. You know, this, if, if we don't stand as as voices, as people who are willing to champion, you know, the victims and and the people who are taken advantage of, man, are we really followers of Christ? Yeah, I, I might even just follow that up with a question for us because I I don't fully know. I mean, I have ideas of how I would approach it with the church, um, and I don't know if that's lowercase C or capital. See mm. if we're talking about the body of Christ or yeah. the the buildings of the church. Um, right. It's good to designate, by the yeah, way. I yeah, I think so. I think I think I've I've seen the body of Christ surround people really well, and I've seen them not. I've seen the the building church do that well, and I've seen it not. But I my question is how possibly is it could it be done? Is there a way, even just a step to take? And it may just be like the leaders of the church like the overall church saying something, um, but how can change be made for real? I don't know. I'm asking. I've seen this time after time where, uh, you know, I, like, you know, one of my, one of my best friends and, 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 and actually, um, yeah. So one of my best friends, you know, he, you know, he was going around and just sleeping with, a ton of girls and um and 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 it's interesting because you know when that that truth was brought up to someone you know at at the church like it's kind of like a culture like well boys will be boys you know mm-hmm. and and um it's mm-hmm. so interesting how we'll take stands against certain things but um but but other things will kind of give some leniency to i just think we just have to put our foot down and just say like you know wrong is wrong that I, I, I guess that's not like a, a great answer. I'm just like, when you, when we were just talking, I was just thinking about a little bit of how that sometimes will happen in, in church culture, probably more where, where all of us are from in the Midwest, mm. maybe not seeing it as much out here, but, um, but I've, I've seen it specifically happen where, and I don't even want to get into this too, but where I've actually seen, you know, a pastor like, know this about my buddy and kind of like nudge him you shouldn't be doing that wink wink but we'll be so outspoken against homosexuality for instance right you mm-hmm. know so i i just think that like uh we just have to like draw a line in the sand and 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 say like if we're going to say these things are wrong then we also need to point out that these things are wrong too right i mean i i just think because part of what we're talking about is how proficient is the church at dealing with the things that nobody else wants to deal with. Yeah. Right? Which is part of why I have this podcast too. To bring right, up a exactly. lot of topics like, that, you know, we don't readily want to talk about from on Sundays. It's a, res- it's a result of saying, wow, there's a gaping hole. 
mm-hmm. and let me let me actually do something about this thing that the church is not willing to do something about you know mm-hmm. and i just i just don't understand i for me as a person who who loves god and i became a christian you know when i was 20 years old mm-hmm. and i i sort of like started to learn the way that churches functioned and yeah. from my understanding what i experienced as a person who was new to faith was like oh these places are businesses mm-hmm. and so yeah when we talk about the church with a big c versus like the church with a small c i think a lot of the businesses are the small c's right mm-hmm. it's like let's create these places that have names uh with that have jesus names on them and we come and we we sing songs and we hear somebody talk for a while we get some money and then we get people going but there's no real change that happens in a lot of these places there's no fighting for the least of these in these places and then we have this big church with the big c that's doing these great and amazing things where we know a lot of pastors probably that we know and love a lot of leaders that we know and love are like getting their hands dirty are serving the poor Mm -hmm. are like transforming lives and and part of the difficulty for those of us that actually want to follow jesus and culture is the rest of the world defines the christian movement by that other stuff oh yeah yeah you know what i mean that's like the whole crux of you know, I mean, and I can imagine for non-Christians seeing us as Christians, like what we claim to stand on and our morals and our ethics, but yet we aren't taking a huge stand in movements like this, right? With sexual abuse and, and, and that's just heartbreaking. I can imagine not being a Christian being like, well, why, if you guys are claiming that these are such your moral ethics and values, why aren't you guys doing anything about it? Or why are you supporting people that are, that are, really proficient in that unfortunately because there's a culture of complacency in the church like it's plain and simple well i think Um, something that you know ryan was saying is like what can the church do well i think the first thing the church can do is probably just listen to some people that have gone through this before yeah because this is probably outside i mean i I don't want to like spend too much time criticizing the church because i actually am impressed Mm -hmm. with some of the steps the church has actually taken even in the u.s to address things like sex trafficking you know, so we're, we're getting there. Like, I, I feel like the church has been really leading the movement on sex trafficking. It's beautiful to see. You have the A21 project. Yeah. And, and, and other, I mean, you know, we even have Saving Innocence with, you know, with Kim Biddle here. Exodus Cry is another one. Yeah. It's incredible. Yep. So some, some great things are happening. I think it's just more or less that we've got to, to maybe even just listen to the stories of people and maybe just listen to the stories that we're uncomfortable in hearing. That's maybe the first step that the church can take. I'm just uh, after my own question. Uh, <laughs> <You> <laughs> I get, think I, I'm finding think. some clarity. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I uh, something I've been learning a lot about lately is to see what the Lord is doing and then do that. Yeah, um, it's straight from Scripture, and uh, I think something that's simple that we can do um, as leaders in the church in different ways is to be like Lord. What are you doing that I can just hop in on? Because he's already moving. Like he, it's not like he's like, oh, what? There's this a Me Too movement going on. Like I didn't know. I'm, mm. I, I'm like that's not how it works. Like he's been on the move. I mean, he's like I love the picture of Aslan, like moving, like a yeah, roaring yeah. lion about this, and it makes him angry and makes him sad, and he's on the move. And so in my mind, how can we jump in on that? And and I think it's individual. It's for each of us. It's different, and it could be hopping on this podcast and sharing our heart in whatever way we can. It also could be um, just talking to somebody that 
needs needs like a hug and needs to. So I think there's simple ways, but I think the simplest is, Lord, what are you doing and how can I join that? Yeah, mm. there were actually, you know, two stories that were highlighted to me uh, just in prayer, just mm. because the scripture does address sexual assault. I mean, if the scripture addresses sexual assault, then shouldn't the church? I, I, yeah. the, the two stories that really stood out to me were the story about Tamar. Mm-hmm. Um, and you rarely hear that story ever yep. told at church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the second one and a story that that is often shared at church is actually the story about Joseph when Potiphar's wife seizes yep. his robe and she basically calls out sexual assault on him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, sexual assault, it's not like this is like a new thing that's just been around within the past few years. This is something that's been happening since the beginning of time. So I even further looked looked into scripture and, you know, I found in Deuteron- Deuteronomy 22, um, 25 through 29, it says, but if in the open country, a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lays with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. I think that's so beautiful. Nothing like she should not experience any form of shame whatsoever. She should not be despised around town because of something that happened to her. It says, you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death for this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor. I mean, that's where that's really where scripture points to assault. It's basically saying it's on the lines of murder. And and um, and I believe that, too, because I, I think that once something like this happens to you, you, your soul feels murdered and you're entrenched in so much shame. So I think it's just beautiful to just even see that scripture is like nothing shall be done to this woman. Mm. Does the church live like that today? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think there's a way that we can collectively make a change and a move, which all of us have platforms and are trying to do. And even the, for the people who don't have like a social media platform, there are ways for us to together stand up against this and also stand up against when we see it happening and encourage and like bring up the tough conversations, bring it up and to your pastors, to your community groups, to people around you. Right. I kind of want to go into Kind of what Johan brought up too, which I want to talk about is um, the t- idea of being a good guy and how this may or may not play into like the whole conversation. And I want to state the obvious, I guess, before we really dive into this question that the men on this panel, all of you guys are really great guys, in my opinion. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for each one of you. And you're not participating in the things categorized as sexual assault. Um, and so then from there, I just kind of want to open up this dialogue and first read a, um, a quote basically from the We Are Man Enough series from Tony Porter. And he says, if we are such good guys, how are these men doing what they're doing in our presence? I really believe that we, the majority of men and women who do not perpetrate violence against women and girls, we are more at fault in some respect than those who do because they cannot do it without our permission. I think there's some complexity there's more complexity Absolutely, to it, yeah. you know, and I yeah. think it, that's part of the conversation that we're having is you cannot be a good guy and stand on the sidelines. Yeah, it's right. Just, you have to be active. Right. And I think part of what we understand about the world is that evil does not wait for permission. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, as Christians, like we're consistent. Now, I am a praying man, as I'm sure you guys are. And I know you are as well. We pray too much about what's the right thing to do. We should already know. A lot of the right things to do. You know what I mean? Because evil, like I said, they're not waiting for permission to create evil. And yet we're waiting on the sidelines. Should I do this? Is this is this cool, God? Like, 
do you give me a green light to start this ministry or to do this or to help that person? Yo, just do good. If you see a problem in the world, go out there and be God's hands. Because mm-hmm. like you were saying, right? So like God's up to a lot. Now get involved. Yeah. Like just get involved in what he's doing. So I, 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 you know, and I get passionate about these things. You guys saw me walk in. I'm a little more, more quiet. And then like the, the fire comes <laughs> out. You know what I'm saying? But, but I think, I yeah, that. I think we have to be honest with the fact that we cannot be defined as good guys if we do nothing. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the truth of the matter. Right. I, I can uh, I can speak from a place I uh, I've changed a lot the last five years or so. Um, I, I grew up with three, three boys. I was the youngest and I, I was very quiet in social situations as well. And I would kind of just sit back in the corner, even watch a lot of things go by. I played sports since I was six. Like that happens in every locker room and every sport. Like it's it's terrible. But I've all I've never had a voice until the last five years or so. And uh I just want to speak because I think this is important to know, like men of God, specifically since we are men, we can speak to this like we need to stand up because fear. I mean, fear has been destroying us. Yeah. Some um, fear is what allows this to. It's terrible. I mean, uh, some and it's a paraphrase, but a quote about men in Los Angeles. Um, They said, I see men in L.A. as the most powerful men I've ever met, but the most afraid men I've ever met. And I, I believe that 100%. Wow. Um, and for me, a man who's starting to really step into his voice and mm-hmm. what that really looks like is power. We have to lead others to do that. And mm-hmm. that might just be us just stepping into the gap. Like, And even if it's awkward, even if it's scary, like I just want to challenge every man who hears this to like step into that place. And it might even just be simple stuff, like a little comment here about an Instagram, like a picture or something. Like It's all little things that build up into this big Right thing. And yeah. so we have to in the one moment, when can we stand up and then just start like, I mean, fear it gets yeah. like under your skin. You don't even know it's there until boom, it hits you and then you're paralyzed. And um, as a man, we got to really face that. And there's a lot of reasons why fear paralyzes us. And there's a lot of uh, help out there to like get that out of the way because we need to stand up. And that's that's the final. That's it. Yeah. And and I, I mean, I. I, I experienced the same thing just being in high school and being in sports. You know, I wasn't I wasn't the cool guy in high school. So when you have these cool guys that are sharing some inappropriate things that have that have happened and they're laughing and bragging about it and, and everybody's laughing along, guess what? I didn't you know, I didn't take a stand. Yeah. I didn't take a stand because I did take a stand once and and basically I got made fun of and rejected even more. And that's that's the reason why, because most of the time when these things happen, like the the Harvey Weinstein's of this world are not, you know, they're not mild guys. These are guys who are ruthless in business and they they have so much power. I'm sure he shared his story so many times with different people. And and actually, I, I believe what was it? Ben Affleck and Matt Damon received some some flack from that. But that that other people would have heard these stories. And how many of them actually had do, did any of them have the guts to stand up? And probably the answer is no. Yeah. They probably were concerned about their jobs if they of were going to book the next movie. And it is fear that keeps us so, back from addressing these things. Right. And so another point of controversy in our culture right now is the Colin Kaepernick Nike campaign. Right. Mm, yeah. Which to me is, once again, very fascinating that the truth is believe in something, even if you have to sacrifice everything. Mm. And people are up in arms because they don't agree with this man's form of protest instead of paying attention to like what is the truth being communicated 
even if you don't agree with this guy, you don't you you think he he should stand when the national anthem is played. Great. Is this thing true? Should we be people who believe in something, even if we have to sacrifice everything? Because, yes, if if we were people who believed that God was real, if we were people who believed that Jesus died on the cross, that he sacrificed mm. everything, right? Like, that's who we follow. Mm. How would that affect us? Like, how would we show up in a culture that is full of problems? And if we believe we can actually be solvents, right, because of God's power yeah. and we can heal, what are we willing to sacrifice? Mm. I think that's the the harsh truth that we have to come to grips with as Christians is most of us, we can't even sacrifice our comforts and conveniences. Mm -hmm. Like we would rather just go to the movies, watch Netflix, have our meals every day. Like what are we sacrificing to create any type of good? Truth of the matter, you know, and like I said, I'm I'm. I'm guilty as well, right? It's like pushing myself to figure out day in and day out, what do I have to sacrifice to create good? Yeah. Because I can just be a complacent, you know, idiot who's mm -hmm. sitting and watching TV and just consuming all day, or I can actually create something, but it's going to come at a cost mm -hmm. because any type of good comes at a cost. And, you know, I read in this book recently, it's a book by Ben Stewart, I believe. And he says something so good, basically about our season of singleness. But like, basically, if you don't have any enemies at all, then maybe you should be reconsidering what you're doing. Right. And because like, it says all over the Bible, like you will be persecuted in my name for my name. And so I think that was an interesting thing I read. And I was like, yeah, like, what am I taking a stand on? Like, even as a woman, like, am I what what am I truly taking a stand on? Um, because it's intimidating sometimes for women to even stand up for themselves, right? And so, like, how am I doing that? How am I standing up for other women, even if that means I'm going to par be part of the harassment as well, right? And so I think we all have a place to say, like, to be challenged because I think the whole good guy mentality is tough because I know there's a lot of good guys, like on paper, right? The guys you see that are they're good in, in, in ways, but at the end of the day, what to me makes a really good guy or a good woman is like someone who stands up for someone else, even when it's uncomfortable. First, right. that stands up for what they believe even when it's uncomfortable. Exactly. I mean, like if someone was to come and as all of us as Christians, like ask what our faith beliefs were, would we have the courage to you know, knowing that we could be killed for that, like Paul was, you know, like, would we have the courage to actually stand up for what we believed in? Um, and I think that's the whole, like, you see it even in small ways with, you know, sometimes with men being accountable to other men, like, they, they don't always want to call each other out. And that's just like a general statement. I'm not saying everybody, but even on small things, whether it's sexual abuse or, you know, but there's smaller things where you're like, no, I'm not going to say anything because it's just easier <laughs> right. to ha not have that conversation, you know? But I think that's the point right there. It's the I'm, it's, it's the I'm not going to say anything culture. And that's what right? makes, and you can go to bed and not say anything and it's fine. But there's a large, and that's the thing, it's twofold. It's, it's those of us as men who carry our guilt and shame because we're not going to say anything. We don't want to feel bad about ourselves for all the things that we do wrong, you know, whether that be, you said you had an episode about pornography, mm -hmm. whether that be we're sleeping around, whether that be fill in the blank of all the things that as men, women were guilty of, what we do is we're not going to say anything because especially in the church, we don't want to be perceived as bad Christians. Mm -hmm. God forbid we actually communicate with our lives. Oh, we do need, need grace and forgiveness mm -hmm. because we often mess up. 
and we're often not perfect. God forbid we show up in that way and say, oh, look, we need a God who can come through in these areas that we like to hide and not talk about, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have a brother on the other end who may know what we're going through, and uh, that's his struggle. I'm going to let him deal with it. I'm not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. What kind of what kind of community is that? Mm, so true. There's a it's funny you mentioned about being a bad Christian uh cuz if you really look back at the scriptures Jesus was not a good Christian. <laughs> he didn't follow right. the rules. He broke everyone. He was, radical. He was yeah. a radical and that's our example. Yep. And it's it can be I, I'm as guilty as charged. I'm it can be the most comfortable place in the United States could be the, the church, um, which is right. sad to say. It's, right. it's a sad thing to say. And so what does it look like for us to step into that gap that feels uncomfortable, yeah. that place that feels scary? Well, I, I mean, it was interesting too, just, just bringing up the person of Jesus, the, the man that he was, because, you know, a, a lot of times when you think about, and if, probably if you did a survey nationally of people who aren't Christians, like, where would you put Jesus on the manliness scale? <laughs> and he probably honestly wouldn't rate very high. But as Christians, he's our role model for manhood. Mm-hmm. And and we just have to be honest. He the the, the things that uh, where, where culture has said, you know, and how men should act, that the way that he acted doesn't necessarily fit into that box. It's so true. And um, I mean, just speaking of, of good guys too, you know, I, obviously I, I, I run that website, Good Guy Swag, and uh, you know, I, I always use the bow tie as the symbol of it, but it was kind of like a, a little thing that I created myself just to show two triangles of the mind, body, soul of a man connected mm-hmm. with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because I believe in, unless we're truly connected to that Trinity, well, we can't be good men. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Branding, you created that yourself. That's amazing. It's just kind of a hidden thing, you know. Wow. I don't really like make the site like a, a faith-based. It's not site hidden anymore. There it is. You heard it here first. <laughs> Everyone knows. I love that. I don't think I knew that, Chris. So, okay, I just want to like ask this last question, I guess, for you guys on this topic. Um, is how can we challenge, and how can the men listening challenge better challenge the brothers around them to be a, more than just like a quote-unquote paper good guy? Who's going first? Who's going first? (laughs) Well, I think I think so. I think we're talking about part of it right now. Right. Which is we cannot be okay with easy answers. Mm -hmm. We cannot be okay with hidden lives. Mm -hmm. Um, We cannot be okay with being men who truly are not vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that is another sad truth. And this is not just the church. This obviously is just manhood as a whole is men are not very good at being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And and I love Brene Brown's sort yeah. of like understanding of it, because as she talks about vulnerability, you know, she's like, it's not about winning or losing. It's about, you know, this understanding that you're going to put yourself out there no matter what the outcome is. Mm-hmm. Get in the ring. Right. Like getting in the ring. Mm-hmm. And I I'm a primary victim of doing this thing where I'm like, can I win? Because if I can win, then I'll jump in. But if I'm going to lose, I'm not going to jump in. Um, mm. And in reality, right, because we want to be the strong person who doesn't, you know, get looked at it like, a, oh, you're defeated. You were defeated. You just lost. Right. Um, that's why I wanted to start sharing about, you know, when I was when I first made 
the decision to have sex and I was like this champion of abstinence, I realized some things about, you know, the ego and how I needed to show up in culture. I was like, I'm not going to hide behind um, my slip up, you know, like I'm not going to be like, oh, well, I can't talk about this now. I can't. No, I wanted I wanted to own it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to I wanted to tell the world, hey, this was my stance for a large portion of life. And now I'm living in um, sort of like some uncertainty. And and I made this choice. I don't want to blame anybody for it. You know, like it could be the thing. Well, she was a seductress. Yeah. And if she didn't wear this thing and then I would still have my virginity. Right. No, it's like, no, I made a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I made a choice and, and I and I owned it. And um, that's part of what I feel has liberated me as a person who loves God is understanding that in the midst of my failure, Mm. like he shows up Mm. and in the ability to be vulnerable, in the ability to know that as I share my story, I know that a lot of people have judged me. I know that a lot of people have have talked smack about me and be like, oh, Johan was this guy. Looked like he's a hypocrite because he said one thing and now look, you know what he did on the other end. Um, I'm I'm okay with that Mm. because I know that what I've experienced is a freedom in in truth, is a freedom in honesty. And I think that's what I can offer up all the men that I come into contact with. And it's a part of what has liberated me. And I believe it's uh, what can liberate anybody who is a man or a woman. That's good. I I think that there's a lot of of pressure on men today, um, not just to conform, but to perform. And, and, uh, I mean, that was a, a big reason behind why I even started LA Men's Group, why I started Good Guy Swag in the first place. I always go back to just the sense of shame that I felt, you know, when I was in yeah. the years of being 16 to 18. And and the thing is, is every guy needs a, a place to be connected. And I mean, that, that was really just the premise behind it, just to get a group of guys together, just to be able to share, to be real, to be open. I, I really feel like so many of our world's problems can be solved if if more men would join groups like that and learn how to be vulnerable with one another yeah i think in bringing it to relationships i think that is why sometimes that causes a lot of problems in marriage if guys don't have that place to be vulnerable outside of just being vulnerable with their wives um it can be really troublesome because they don't actually have other men to go to and turn to in their lives and you see that destroying marriages right or you see there's a stat about divorce rates and then men who get divorced and then in the 50s and 60s they have no they're reported to have no close male relationships at all right well i mean once again Mm -hmm. you know as we talk about you know culture and how vulnerable men are treated Mm -hmm. we have a culture that celebrates power Mm -hmm. right like if you are a powerful man who is strong scores touchdowns right becomes president has, you know, as a CEO uh, of a company, like fill in the blank of all the ways that we can have power, you are celebrated. Yeah. But if you work with the with the homeless, if you're a social worker, you know, if you're a teacher of kindergartners, I have a friend who's a man who's a teacher of kindergarten kids and like mm. these men are not celebrated. No, I, it, I, I, I'm just curious too, like, especially too, since you talked about absence for so long when you were out there talking about that, did you ever feel like you were celebrated by other men? Uh, not really. Only women. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I see. Yeah, this all yeah, the time. exactly. Like only wow. only women would celebrate you've li- me. You lived it and noted. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think there were there were certain men who would be like they would come up to me and say, man, like, I don't know how you do it. You know what I mean? Like it'd be stuff like that. So if that's a form of celebration, then maybe. But 
uh, for the most part, you know, no. Um, so, yeah, I just think I, I wish we flipped it on its head and said, like, how can we create a culture that understands as men we are weak and it's okay for us to expose the places in our life where we are weak and still be welcomed by because i think also you know this is the male female dynamic like no i don't think there's a woman who says i want to i want to marry a man who's weak right like mm-hmm. nobody wants that right. now obviously this is not us saying like we're just all weak but and there's another Brene brown story that talks about this where there's a guy who basically says look this is easier said than done yeah. like if i show up in any weak ways with my family i kind of get beat up for it my family does not want me to be weak Mm-hmm. They want me to be the strong sort of like figurehead protector right. provider. And if I show up in any other way, it's like, no, that's not you. Mm-hmm. So how can we show up in the fullness of who we are? Because I'm I'm fairly confident without knowing these guys too much. All three of us have fears and insecurities that we don't talk about that much. Mm-hmm. Right. There's you probably talk about, you know, the fears and insecurities with your wives. But is it OK for us to still be men? And talk about these things publicly mm-hmm. and show up in these ways and still be accepted by our friends and our family and our wives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, oh, sorry, Ryan, go ahead. No, Chris, I want, I want you to go. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, what I'm, I was going to share a bit about just what I've learned for myself. Um, honestly, within the last month or so, I've had a lot of revelation about my own life. And um, for a long time, since I was like probably nine, I've, I've felt like there's most a lot of times where I've felt like I actually literally like a little kid crying, just stuck in a corner, afraid. Mm-hmm. That's actually like my inner life. A lot of the times I'm just scared. I don't and I don't want people to actually know that that's what I really feel like. Mm-hmm. So most of my life I've performed, I've controlled and actually I've been really good at it. Like nobody knew. No one caught me. I, I wasn't. They didn't catch that. I'm actually a fraud until, until recently where Jesus is like, hey, by the way, this little kid that you feel like, like I, I like him a lot yeah. and I love him a lot. And I, I, I think it's important to say things like this because this is actually that specific story I just mentioned with a lot of tears and snot have helped heal a lot of people even within the last two weeks. Um it's opened up men who have been really hard. Um, even literally, I, I'd love to share the story. Feel free to reach out to me. I don't want to do it on here. Um, but where it's healed uh, different different cultural barriers. I mean, it's it's been wild to actually be honest with someone, mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and to be available, mm-hmm. um, to like literally give them permission to be vulnerable and available. And uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing that my weakness has made the Lord's power like mm-hmm shoot through the roof and it's blowing my mind like actually experiencing that biblical verse in real life um i mean i, I highly recommend it <laughs> <laughs> I, think as, I think as women and other men like we have a responsibility then to change this cultural dynamic mm-hmm. right to help change that cultural dy- dynamic is to commend and and see and recognize when a man is vulnerable don't like especially and women have this responsibility too because we see weak like we say we call it weakness if we see a guy crying like it's not weakness that's not weakness um but if we if that's our reaction then that's going to play into that same narrative so what kinds of how are we re- reacting as women and as men 
to other men who are showing their vulnerability. Like we have such a place to make a difference in just those reactions alone. Yeah. And keep in mind too, vulnerability is more of uh, our, you know, trying to, to act a certain way, thinking that like people aren't going to celebrate your vulnerability. That's just a mindset. Mm. I think once you actually are vulnerable, you find that people really are drawn to you even more. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. my wife just, um, you know, posted a picture of herself the other day, just showing her full acne. And it's yeah, just been amazing that. how many girls have just felt connected to her because oh, of that. Right. I think, you know, and I always share this too. And Joanne, you were talking about just um, relationships. I, I really feel in my wife and I's relationship that we connected most in our vulnerabilities and our mistakes than, than our great features, you know, that, sure. are, that yeah. might, might, might be out there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- there's no doubt about it. Yes, I do share with my wife and we do have, I feel like it's so open, but I feel like every guy needs a group of men around. I remember, you know, probably like a few months ago, I was sitting there and on one side I had my wife crying and on the other side I had my daughter crying. And I was like, I could cry right now, <laughs> but that's not what my family needs. They they need, they actually do need my strength right now. Yeah. And so, you know, anyway, I, I was able to talk with it later to a group of men about it because I meet with a group of men every week. So that's, right. I think, the important key part about I, it. You know, it's interesting because when I first became a Christian, I heard there was a, a speaker who came to our church and he said that he did some trip in Africa and he was seeing so much pain and suffering, but he wasn't affected. And then he said that he said this prayer. He said that he's like, God, I want my heart to break with the things that break your heart. Mm. And he said, like, after he communicated this prayer, he he was just like waterworks, like mm. any sight of pain or suffering. And he would just feel everything, you know. Mm. And I remember as an early Christian, like I said this prayer um, because I wanted to, to interact with this truth. Like, what does it? look like to feel what god feels Mm -hmm. and um you know it was since that point that i feel like in in an immense way i feel the pain and suffering of the world that's part of why i get so angry when we talk about these types of topics because Mm -hmm. it troubles me you know when i'm when i'm in a circle and somebody's going through something like i feel it Mm -hmm. um and i really believe that if you know if i think we all carry god's heart right yeah. Can we imagine the level of pain and suffering that he experiences um, because of what's going on in the world? Mm. You know what I mean? Like if we allowed ourselves to be touched by these things, truly touched, I don't think we'd be able to just sit around when we talk about the complacency of it. I don't mm. I just I don't think we'd be OK with a lot. I think we'd have restless nights, more restless nights than we probably do have and more uncomfortable conversations, you know, yeah. than we do have. And yeah, I mean, if, if you, like I said, if, if you've been affected at all, if, if you've been sexually assaulted, God's heart does, does break for yours. Yeah. I mean, my, my heart breaks for yours. I just, um, I mean, you know, my heart breaks even for that little boy that I that I think about sometimes, Ryan. You know, when I was sixteen and um, and really just on the verge of of committing suicide, that um, that that was really the the time that I actually felt like I I didn't hear like an audible voice from God, but all I I I got and I wasn't a Christian or anything like this at that time. I just felt like 
I, I, and I didn't know scripture, but I just heard, I actually heard scripture that God just told me like, I have a plan for you and, um, and I'm going to change your life. And when your life is changed, you're going to help other people change their life. And, and so I would just say for anyone out there that's hurting right now, there is healing for you mm-hmm. and your story does count and your story will make a difference to someone else one day. Man, oh man, these guys brought the fire. We just went there today. I love that Johan said, we cannot be okay with easy answers. We cannot be okay with hidden lives. We cannot be okay with being men who truly are not vulnerable. Oh, you guys, that is so true. We have to learn how to challenge one another. We have to learn how to stand up to the status quo, even if some people don't like us in the process. Jesus said, you'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Oh gosh, I can't wait for this conversation to continue into part two next week as we dive into the socialization of masculinity in our culture today. What does it really mean to be a man? A Christian man? A man in relationships? We're going to get all into that next week in part two, so don't miss it. If you want to connect to the guys, you can find them on Instagram. Chris is at Chris Wolf and at Good Guy Swag. Johan is at Johan Speaks and Ryan is at Sir Gunnarsson and at That One Married Couple. So go check them out and connect with them. I cannot be more thankful for your support of the Heart of Dating podcast. I am blown away by your rankings, reviews, messages, all of it. If you want to be a part of our inner circle and support what we are doing, we encourage you to pledge any dollar amount that you want on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash heartofdating. Also, if you like this podcast, would you please consider giving us a review? It helps us immensely and we cannot thank you more. Until next time, friends.